This is day two of our two-day seminar on uh, dealing with sexual sin and shame. And so I just want to say thank you for coming back. Um, thank you for wanting to work through some of these things with me. I think it's a huge privilege to get to deal with some of y'all. Um, I really do mean that. Uh, and it is a hard thing to deal with. And it's been a hard thing for me to deal with my own life. So thank you for being here with me in this. Um, let me pray for us and we'll get started. Father, you are so gracious to us to give us this time and this space, um, Lord, to watch over us and care for us as your sons. Um, Lord, I pray that you be with us today in your power, in your presence, and your grace, and your truth, and to show us uh, what it is to grow to wise, righteous men. In your name we pray. Amen. So, imagine that I have in my hand a hammer. Just a basic hammer. You'd get like a Lowe's or a Home Depot that maybe you would find around your house. Uh, wooden handle down here, metal head thing right here, uh, pulls nails out on this end. I've got this hammer in my hand. And I could take this hammer, if I knew what I was doing, I could take the hammer and I could build a house. Or I could build a deck. Or I could build a shed. And those things might last for generations. That hammer can be a very powerful tool. Or I could take the same hammer... I could walk out of that parking lot and I could just wail on people's windshields. I could break off the rearview mirrors. I could, in just a few minutes, cause thousands of dollars worth of damage. That hammer has the power to either build things or to destroy things. It's a very powerful tool in itself. In a similar way, sex is a tool that channels our power either into creating life or into destroying life. You see, a big principle in the Bible is that we don't live in a world of completely obvious good or evil. I mean, on a, if you pan the camera back far enough, yeah, it's like God versus Satan. But for the most part, the way in which we're interacting with the world is one in which we live in a world of counterfeits, where evil masquerades as good. And part of the power of the secrecy and the shame of misused sexuality and especially pornography is that it is lust and rape and bestiality masquerading as sex and intimacy. And the big lie that is kind of awash in our culture right now is that sex is both everything and sex is nothing. That if you're not having sex, then what's wrong with you? Like, if you're not obsessed with sex, what's going on? Sex oftentimes is used to determine if you're cool, if you're worthy of time or attention as a person, if you are an adult or not an adult. On the other hand, sex is nothing. It should be like oxygen or water, cheap, free-flowing, abundant, everywhere. You should be having it all the time with whoever. Your life should revolve around it. It should be really as easy to get as Wi-Fi at Starbucks. But what the Bible says is that sexuality is neither everything or nothing. It's actually very powerful. That it touches on our relationship with ourselves, our neighbors, our bodies, our emotions, our souls, with God. Don't make the mistake that your sexuality is only for you and for your pleasure. Your sexuality is a tool that you can use to build a marriage and a family and a community that if you'd like to be a father one day, that your legacy as that father is tied to your sexuality. 
is not primarily used for you, but your sexuality is given to you for others. And so there's a power here that's not everything, and it's also not nothing either. It's a power that's flowing through you, and that God's given you in a good and natural way. And like all powers can be turned either to use for sin or to bless the world. So yesterday we talked about the way that a broken sense of sexual identity fuels our own brokenness. And what we need is actually to understand who we are in Christ. That you are a beloved son. And to develop a new cycle of living in the world through that. Today I want to hone in on that. And I want to give you three questions and three steps to help you deal practically with that brokenness in your life. So three questions, three steps. I'll try to keep this simple. Um, And my hope today is to clarify for some of you what your next steps outside of this two-day seminar might be. Okay? So let's dive in. First question. First question here. Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? There's a story in John chapter 5 where Jesus is going to Jerusalem and he goes to this pool that has supposed healing powers and he encounters this man who's been beside this pool as an invalid for 38 years. I mean, don't think of this as a very large pool. Think of it as like a pool uh, that you might have at your house because it's got columns and a roof over it and there's all these like paralyzed people or poor people around it. And Jesus looks at this man and he says to him, Do you want to be healed? And that is such a weird question to ask someone who's paralyzed, isn't it? Do you want to get better, paralyzed man who's been here for 38 years? Why would he ask that? I mean, why would he ask that? Look, if you're lying there and you're physically unable to move, if you're paralyzed and you've been there for all these years next to this pool that supposedly can heal people, what Jesus' question is getting at is, then why haven't you asked someone to help you get in that water? Like, why have you just laid here? Do you actually want to get better? I mean, in the same way, we can make excuses for ourselves when it's crippling us too, can't we? I mean, have you ever taken the time to wonder, why, if I feel so crippled by shame with this thing and hate it so much... Why do I keep returning to it over and over again? Because make no mistake, porn gives you something really powerful. It's this temporary escape from boredom, anxiety, sadness, loneliness. In the admiring eyes of the actresses in those scenes, you feel for once in your life powerful and in control without the risk of actually being known by someone or losing anything in that moment. I mean, there's a part of us that's like Gollum in The Lord of the Rings, where Gollum loves the ring. I know, I'm contractually obligated as a PCA pastor to use a Lord of the Rings reference. I can't help it, it's in my contract. Um, Gollum loves the ring because of the sense of power that it gives him. The, The way that when he turns invisible, he can be around people, but not really be with people. He can have this element of control where he's suddenly the boss. He's like this, like, very weak character, but suddenly he's a powerful character. Yet the ring can only give him some semblance of life and closeness and power. It's not and never can be the real thing. And the question that you have to ask yourself as you think about breaking the cycle of porn and sexual addiction in your life is the same one that Jesus asked this crippled guy. Do you want to be healed? 
Now, you may be sitting there thinking, Simon, you dummy. If I didn't want to be healed, I wouldn't actually be here in this hot classroom today. No, no, no. Look, I understand that you came on a beach trip and you've got a couple of hours to kill, but that's not the, actually the same thing as wanting to get better. Like, do you want to stop? Ask yourself, if you hate this so much, why haven't you? Do you want to be healed? Do you want to become the man that God made you to be? Do you want to feel as clean as you are in Christ? To lay there on the pavement crippled is terrible. It's a horrible way to live. But it also means that you don't have to deal with the expectations of the people around you. It means that you don't have to get up and actually step into how hard life is. It means that you don't have to like work and be involved in a fallen world. Does it mean you have to take a sober assessment of your life and what you might be if you actually looked up at yourself? Look, if God is working to make you a mature, healed man instead of an immature, wounded boy, then on your end, that's going to mean you have to lose some of the things that are keeping you immature and that you can use to numb yourself from feeling the pain of some of your wounds and feeling the difficulty of your own immaturity just... The foolishness of getting to do what I want to do when I want to do it. And the way that our sin and our desire to sin is tied into that. Look, you're going to have to deal with your sin and see how deep the rabbit hole that is. You're going to have to deal with pain and disappointment and feeling awkward and the fear of being known and being bored. You'll have to take the experience of living in a fallen world and enter that with faith that God will actually use it to your good. Do you want that? I mean, do you want to be healed if that's what it means for you to be healed? If you want to actually deal with this stuff, that's the question you have to start with. That's the first place you have got to go. Second question. What do you need to cut off in your life so that you can add good things in? What do you need to cut off in your life so you can add good things in? Last year, uh, the Times came out with a story on the pervasiveness of porn in our culture. And it said this, it said that a growing number of young men are convinced that their sexual responses have been sabotaged because their brains were virtually marinated in porn when they were adolescents. Their generation has consumed explicit content in quantities and varieties never before possible on devices designed to deliver content swiftly and privately all at an age when their brains were more plastic, that is, more prone to permanent change, than in later life. These young men feel like unwitting guinea pigs in a largely unmonitored, decade-long experiment in sexual conditioning. The results of the experiment, they claim, are literally a downer. The article ends with a comment of one young porn user who says that, when I think about it, I've wasted years of my life looking for a computer or mobile phone to provide something it is not capable of providing. That he wanted connection, he wanted real, lasting pleasure in a relationship, and it just wasn't there. Does that sound familiar at all to you? Part of why this habit is so hard to break is because pornography and sexual license are just so easy to have access to. And you're so anonymous, or you at least feel so anonymous, when you use it. And it just begs the question, not only what is this doing to me, but what will I have to cut out in order to get better? Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 
says this. He says, you've heard that it was said, you should not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Okay, I read that and I know that many of us have read that passage before and felt incredibly guilty and wondered what Jesus meant when he said, it's better to cut off your hand than to go to hell. Jesus for one, is speaking in hyperbole there, so he's going over the top to make a point. Most people looked at this and said, he's not actually telling us to cut off our hands. Uh, one, because the hand is not the center of your will and your affection. Your heart is, and Jesus is trying to deal with your heart. But what he is doing here is he's getting to the deadly seriousness of this whole deal. That in the battle over a glance, or a few minutes of sinful pleasure that there's a lot more riding on this thing than being a good guy or living a holy life. That you are actually on the line. That your soul is actually on the line. Jonathan Edwards, the old Puritan, summed it up well when he said that either sin will kill you or you will kill sin. That for you, you are entering into a cage death match with sin. And two men enter... And one man leaves. And you've got to fight this thing. For some of you, it would be easier and less costly to actually cut off your hand than to cut off your smartphone or to cut out your laptop. Because what Jesus is really saying here is do whatever it takes. However extreme it may seem to you or the people around you, it would be better for you in the long term to do this than to jeopardize your very soul. So what do you need to cut off? What do you need to cut out? Do you need to lose your smartphone and get that like grandpa jitterbug that only texts and the numbers are like yay big? Do you need to do that? Do you need to stop having a room to yourself so you can live with people and actually have some kind of accountability on a day-to-day, hour-to-hour basis? Do you need to only use your computer when you're at the library on campus and just like not open it when you're not there? Look, you've got to stop dallying around with this stuff. And isn't that how it got its hooks in you in the first place? And that's part of why it's so hard to get those hooks out because we keep kind of dallying around with it because we're not really w- willing to cut out what's going on. I can remember... For myself, when I was in college, um, I dated a girl, and she was really my first girlfriend, and we kind of like fell in love. And we dated for a while, and then just kind of realized that like this thing wasn't going to work out. And so we broke up, and it really broke my heart. And I didn't realize it at the time, but really what it raised for me was this question of, can I be loved? And known? Or is it better for me just not ever be known and so never be loved? And it drove me into this deep, deep depression. And part of what fueled that depression was pornography. And just using this stuff to numb myself to that question, to numb myself to how hard that breakup was, to numb myself to some of the patterns of living that I didn't want to deal with. And by God's grace, when I 
left college and became an intern for RUF, I had this chance to kind of break with my old self and kind of the old way of living and do some other things differently. And, you know, I had these opportunities many times before and had never taken God up on them before. But for some reason, he just drove it home in my life at this point. So that when I left college and became an intern, I just, I had a, a desktop computer and I just completely took out its ability to connect to the internet, like in my room. I just did not have internet connection in my room at all. And this was before smartphones. And so, like, the only way for me to check email was to go to the public library and for an hour a day I would just, I would check my email, I would, you know, write on Facebook. It's like 2008, so it's like early Facebook. Um, but like, and that was it. And then I would go, and that gave me a lot of space that I needed to, to deal with how sad I was, to deal with how much I actually wanted to use porn, with how hard it was for me to leave this thing, which had been a comfort in so many ways. Like, man, by God's grace, I had, I had stiff-armed him in so many ways as he tried to bring this up again and again. Like, you just need to cut this out. And for some reason at this point, like, he pushed me hard enough to actually do it. And it was an awesome thing. What do you need to cut out? Like, what do you need to give up in order to get some space between you and pornography? What needs to happen? You know what's so hard about cutting this stuff out? Is that when the dust settles and you have some kind of space to actually feel how anxious you are. Or how sad you are. Or there's a part of you that really does enjoy watching people do incredibly depraved things. Because it lets you tap into a part of your own heart that loves depravity, but you don't normally let yourself go there. And, you know, it just feels bad to feel bad. And I hate to feel bad, and I've been using this stuff for years to avoid that, but now I'm just left with me and my bad feelings. So what now? That apart from this, many of us feel deeply uncertain about who we actually are, where the possibilities of our time might hold if we were to give this thing up and get more hours in our life back. But I want to suggest this to you. What if that empty, gnawing feeling that you spent so much time avoiding was actually the place where Jesus wanted you to go? Like, what if that was the place where God wanted you to go to actually grow? That when you've cut this thing out that feels like so much of your life, that it might as well be your right hand. That's in that moment that you're given the opportunity to embrace that emptiness and to find out what Paul meant when he said that God's power is made perfect in weakness. That you've got to give up on yourself. And when you do that, what will you turn to? By God's grace, it's Jesus that you would find more of God's love for you, more of God's kindness to you as a sinner, more of God's patience with you, that you are your beloved's, and that He is yours, and that you are a beloved son that God is just not going to give up on. I think that's what you find when you cut this stuff out. That's in feeling that weakness that you're finally able to give up on strategies that you've used to protect yourself from weakness and from sadness and from vulnerability. Which is scary, I know. I feel that fear myself now. It's also the pathway to become a mature, 
whole, righteous man. And for many of us, maybe you're too young, but for a generation of young men who've grown up learning what sex is from hardcore porn, your expectation of sex is that it's porn. And it's going to take you years to unlearn that and to change that expectation and to you know, start to think about what does it mean to have actual normal sex with the same woman in marriage. Like, why not go ahead and start that process now rather than waiting five, six, seven years or getting to marriage and having to work all that out and the messiness of that where you're hurting your wife? Why not go ahead and start that now and bless her and bless yourself and make it easier for you later? Because marriage, especially sex and marriage, is about two people using their shared power together to reach the common goal of God's kingdom. In sexuality, it's the common goal of orgasm, of a shared life to the glory of God, of eventually children. I want you to have that. Because I think God wants you to have that. The psychologist, Patrick Carnes, is really helpful here. He says this. I'm going to turn this around. Yes, I know. So much anticipation. Um, But that healthy sexuality is a controllable energy. It's a natural drive. That it's nurturing and healing it's an expression of love in marriage. It's, it's intimate so that she sees you and you see her. It's saying to your wife, I don't want anything between us, not even clothes. And it's safe. That it's safe because it's not shaming. No one's going to laugh at you for your body and the fact that you've got dad bod. Uh, one day, you know. Uh, no one's going to laugh at you because your penis isn't the size of a porn star. No one's going to laugh at you because you're hairy or not hairy. But it's safe. And you're known. And it gives life. That's what healthy sexuality is. Unhealthy sexuality, on the other hand, is an uncontrollable energy. It's this thing that just has power in your life that you don't have any power over it. It's an obligation I have to do this thing. I can't say no to it. I've got to do it. It's hurtful. It hurts you. It hurts the people around you. Even if it's just pornography and you're not having sex with someone else, it's hurtful to your community and your friends because of what it does to you and it keeps them from knowing the real you. And God made you as a blessing. It's a blessing that you're a friend to these people and you're around these people. And when you cut off yourself, you're cutting off God's blessing to them. It's incredibly hurtful. Unhealthy sexuality is a condition of love. If you really love me, you'll give me sex. That's not true. It's secretive. Nobody can know. Nobody can find out. It's exploitative. It's about power. It's about using someone else to make you feel a certain way. But not necessarily giving them anything else. It's about exploiting other people. So it benefits one person. It's emotionally distant, which means that they would never know you, you would never know them, you'd never feel close to them. It's just two bodies together. 
But it's not like actually knowing your heart and being with another person. And because of all these things, it's incredibly shaming. It leads to the dissolution of yourself, of another person. It hurts your soul. Because it says no one can ever find out. No one can know you. This self-hatred accepting enslavement. It's terrible. I mean, that's unhealthy sexuality. But God made you for this healthy sexuality. One of the freest things I ever heard when I first uh, started coming to the summer conference, which is like 2002, <laughs> a long time ago, um, was I think I was a freshman in college, and a guy named John Stone was giving a dating marriage talk. And he said that you were made for two things, to know Jesus and for biblical orgasmic sex. And that was incredibly freeing for me as an 18-year-old dude. And it's really true. That you're made to know Jesus and you're made for biblical orgasmic sex. Which is awesome. Because God made you for that. And I want you to have that. God wants you to have that. So you need healthy sexuality. But to do that, you've got to find, figure out what do you have to actually cut out. Um, I'm going to go through some of this stuff. Uh, I'm going to skip to this. Third question. Who do you need to tell? Who do you need to tell? If the heart of unhealthy sexuality is shame, then the antidote for shame is being known and being loved. So who do you need to tell in order to be known and loved and to deal with that shame? Psalm 32 starts with, When I kept quiet, my bones wasted away. That's David talking about his shame. That there was something inside of him that when he, he couldn't unburden himself of his sin, it just felt like he was being eaten up in his bones. I think we've all felt that on some level. Because here are two senses that we've told ourselves at one time or another. That doing something as difficult as dealing with my unhealthy approach to sexuality is impossible. And the second sentence is, you will never get better. This is impossible. You'll never get better. Why even try? And to the degree that you don't take advantage of the help of the other men around you, I really think those sentences are true. That when you treat this as kind of a solo operation, those sentences of this is impossible and this will never get better will probably come true in your life. Because by yourself, you're done for. You're done for. You weren't made to live by yourself. You are made for community. But with others, the difficult is not impossible. And so the degree to which you give up self-reliance and secrecy, that's the degree to which you'll experience growth and healing. Because sin and death grow in darkness and shame. But holiness and life grow in the light of fellowship with God and others. And that's what you need to deal with this. So here's what you need to do. I'm going to give you the three steps right here. Step one, some of you are already doing this. Good for you. But if you're not doing this, you need to do it. Find a couple of close guys that you can confide in and make some sort of accountability group. Meet once a week in someone's dorm room and talk about your life. 
things that were good that week, things that were bad that week, what you want to do next summer, next year, girls you like. And always, always talk about how you're doing with porn and masturbation. Talk about it. Pray with one another about it. And say, I want to say this. When someone tells you, man, I messed up again this week. Uh, I mean, I looked at porn. I masturbated, whatever. Like, to look at your brother and say, man, I am so sorry for you. That makes me so sad when you tell me that. If our anticipation or expectation, when we tell people that we've screwed up, and we've screwed up in this way that we feel so shameful about, is, you know, I'm going to get the hammer dropped on me. (laughs) You'll never talk about it. I mean, you might say it a couple of times to someone, but that hammer comes down a few times, and you're going to button up. What you all need is to be sad with one another and to empathize with one another and say, man, me too. Like, maybe I didn't do it this week, but it could have been me. I've done it in other weeks. I'm sad when you tell me that. I love you, brother. I'm with you in this. What would it mean for you? What would it take for you to text me, to call me, to lean on me when you feel that way again next week? Let's get up and do this together. Like, that's a real accountability group. (laughs) You don't want an accountability group. This is why a lot of your accountability groups don't ever work. Because you start off talking to each other about what's going on in your life. You talk about, like, porn and masturbation and you drop the hammer on one another or you don't really know what to say with one another and it suddenly kind of becomes this club for guys who deal with porn and nothing really changes and like it just kind of like evaporates or like you start you start playing like Call of Duty and that's it. You know? <laughs> like that's it. What you need is to actually deal with one another and to care for one another. That's what a real accountability group is. Uh, get covenant eyes and bring those guys in on that so they know and there's like actually something to, to keep you accountable with. It's easy to sit there and just be quiet. But if the guys in your group are actually getting what you're looking at, like in a regular email, like they can talk to you about like what you saw or what you looked for or when you looked for. They can help you put together what your triggers or your rituals are like. Man, it seems like you do great with your laptop like from, I don't know, 9 o'clock in the morning to 4.30 in the afternoon. But like, when 5 o'clock rolls around, you're tired, you're hungry, and like 5 o'clock to like 1 a.m. is like when you, like look, just look at your covenant report here, tends to be when you look at porn. Like maybe you need to not look at, have your laptop open after that. And like to have some sort of like meet there, you know, in that accountability group, that's helpful. But get covenant eyes or get a, get a porn blocker if you don't already have one. You need that. RUF actually has a uh, national account with Covenant Eyes. Like you can get it at a discounted rate through your campus minister. Um, but every week, go around and talk about what's going on in your life. Talk about porn. Talk about masturbation. If it's helpful, talk about uh, how things like wounds, immaturity, and sin came out that week. And ask your brothers to help you untangle how those things work together. It's not just one of those things on their own, but those things often play together in this. So that's step one. It's a great first step, but it's not enough. Here's step two. Use the guys that you started this accountability group with and start texting them when you feel your cycle 
of rituals and triggers start to rear its head. That seems simple. It's really not. Um, but this is really the only way to keep that accountability group from being that kind of club for guys who struggle with porn to one where you actually help each other fight this thing. For instance, and this is going to be weird at first, but that's okay, because it's weird to text people about when I want to look at porn. But that's fine. We care more about fighting this than not being weird. But when you start to feel triggered, and like you're really starting to want to look, or you're really starting to want to like do your ritual just kind of scrolling through stuff, then text a buddy and say something to the effect of, Hey man, really wanted to act out right now. Please pray for me. Or can you meet up for like five minutes? Or I'm going to get out of my room. Will you text me in like ten minutes and ask me how that went? But like invite someone into this. Maybe he can text back and ask questions to help you reflect on like what's going on. Like what are you wanting to look at right now? What's going on that you're actually wanting to use this stuff? Or deal with this stuff now. Like, why now? And why this? Like, have, start a conversation about it. Look, if you need to leave and go on a walk, go on a walk. Even if it's 2 a.m., walk on your campus. They've got all those like security blue lights. You'll be fine. One of your friends maybe could go and be with you. Go on a drive. Get out and get away from this stuff. Regardless, when the pressure is rising and you really want to act out, that's when you've got to invite people into your cycle. When you're feeling triggered, that's when you most need these guys. If you wait and you act out and you confess later, that's better than nothing. But it's not enough to break this habit. Part of the power of porn and lust is that false intimacy. But Oh yeah, we can be close together. Hey, like... Let's do this thing. I'll give you what you want. I'll give you what you need. That's a lie. Unmask that lie for what it is and invite real intimacy into your life with your brothers. Step three. Stay in this process. Stay in this process. Nobody ever said that a habit that you spent most of your formative years reinforcing and which is driven by some really powerful forces in your brain and the way that God made you with your sexuality, nobody ever said that that would be an easy thing to break or to rewire. Think of this as like a long-term life project which you're working at day in and day out. I mean, no one who's like 900 pounds would expect to lose that, all that weight and deal with the things that drove that sort of obesity in like a couple of weeks, or even six months, or even a year. Or if you were really out of shape and you decided to start training for a marathon or triathlon, you'd have to look at that as a long-term goal. This is the same sort of thing. The general rule of thumb here is that however long you spent digging your way into this hole, expect about the same amount of time to dig your way out. But don't give up on this. Fight this thing with other men who are doing the same and keep a long-term vision of the kind of man that you want to be in front of you. I mean, write a letter to yourself and read it occasionally and tell yourself what you, who you want to be and what you want to be like as a dad, 
as a friend, as a brother, as a son, as someone who follows Jesus? I mean, keep that vision in front of yourself and find other men who will hold you to that vision and walk with them and bear one another's burdens. Weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Love each other in this. That's what you most need. I mean, I think you should have the same attitude as your friends in med school. Like, if you've got a guy that you know, or maybe you're on the pre-med track, like, that's what, like, four years in college? Like, working at it? That's another four years of medical school? That's another three, four years of residency? Maybe two years of uh, a fellowship? Like, that is a long-term goal. But I haven't met many people who are doctors who've looked back and been like, man... I wish I hadn't done all that work. As they're like playing golf in Hawaii. <laughs> you know? Like it's worth it. It's worth it. Like have the same attitude towards this as that. If you're doing the pre-med thing or if you know people who are doing the pre-med thing, like you know people or you have an experience of a long-term goal that's worth it. It's not easy. That takes day in and day out work. And yet, you know, one day when you're like 34, 35 years old and you're looking back, you have so much more freedom from this thing that used to feel like a mountain, but now is more like a molehill, that you could look back and say like, man, that was worth it. To be the man that I am now, to deal with the stuff I've dealt with, to love my wife, to care for my kids, to help other men, to give back to this community to know God and feel as clean as I am through the gospel. Man, that's so worth it. I'm so glad I put in all those blood, sweat, and tears with those other guys. You need that vision. And you need to not give up in that. That's not going to happen without hard work. But I want to say this, that if you're a Christian, in the same spirit that's at work to raise Jesus from the dead and bring life back into the world that created the world, if the gospel is true, then that same spirit is at work in you. And so you have hope that God is at work and that you are not a lost cause. No matter what you've been through, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've seen or how deeply you've dived down into the rabbit hole of sexual sin or sexual addiction, that God is at work in you. And if God can raise dead people up and give them life, he can, he can do that for you too. We have that kind of God. So let me pray for us and we can ask some questions here. Father, you are so gracious to us to invite us together today to deal with this thing that we hate and yet we also love. Lord, make your love, make your truth, make your son Jesus more beautiful and more believable to us and our desires for false intimacy, our desires to escape, our desires for temporary pleasure that lead to shame. Lord, rewire our brains in the way they need to be rewired. God, give us friends and deep relationships in the way that we need friendships and deep relationships. Help us to lean on brothers and find brothers who will help us with this. And God, give us a long-term vision of ourselves as men who know you, enjoy you, and live in the freedom and the hope of the gospel.
In your name we pray. Amen. Kill. Cool.